Hey, I'm Russ. And I'm Steve. Growing up in the 80s, we were introduced to video games, movies, and technology that made a lasting impression on us and forever enriched our lives. I think I'm gonna cry! It's been a fascinating journey to be a part of, one that we constantly treasure. Fire! Booty! Our goal is simple. Share our magical moments of discovery and geek out with lovely folks. Just like you! Uh, achievement unlocked! So if you crave pixel goodness, memorable moments, and experiences that make your inner child do the happy dance, you've come to the right place. Let's do this! Welcome to Joygasm! <laughs> yeah! ourselves a war. You're a cop. I had your job once. Things were simpler then. What do you want? I want to ask you some questions. What happened? I covered my tracks. Scrambled the records. We were being hunted. By who? They know you're here. You do not know what pain is yet. You will learn. Bring it to me. This breaks the world. We have to go. I'm coming with you. The future of the species is finally unearthed. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Joygasm, where we talk about video games, movies, and pop culture. My name is Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360, and joining me is my spastic sibling, Steve, Xbox Live Stevevich, as we dive into episode 41 on this October 7th. 
2017. To get the most out of Joygasm, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. In addition to iTunes and Android, you can also listen to our podcast on soundcloud.com slash joygasmtv. For exclusive access and some sweet goodies, check us out at patreon.com slash joygasm. And no matter which platform you use to enjoy the show, please drop us a subscription, thumbs up, or a review. It helps us build awareness, which we appreciate very much. Today's episode is dedicated to Blade Runner 2049. And please be aware that this is a spoiler alert filled episode. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So if you haven't seen the movie yet, um, and you don't want to, you know, get any of the, the, the nitty gritty (laughs) go away. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Pause us. Go see the movie and come back. Otherwise, if you don't care, then keep on listening because we, I think we we're probably going to have quite a bit to discuss. Mm. Steve, how you doing? Russ, I think spastic was the good word for it. <laughs> I like spastic. <laughs> 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 I feel like Twitch from South Park. <laughs> how are yeah. you? I'm good. Good. I, this, this movie, I'm just... I'm just going to say out of the bat, I, I was entertained. A little redonkulous. It, it was. I lost, I think I went to bed at five this morning. Really? You yes. got like no sleep. Yeah, I didn't. And I woke <laughs> up at 10. I'm thinking, <laughs> am I a I replicant? Know. Yeah, what happened? I don't know. <laughs> I love you, Ryan Gosling. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I had those abs. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> well, Someone give me a tranquilizer. <laughs> Good night. We are going to begin by giving our high-level impressions of the film and then drill down into the following categories. Cast slash acting. How you doing? Plot. Hey. Script and dialogue. Cinema photography. That looks great. Soundtrack. And costume slash wardrobe. Hmm. So just to kick things off here... High level thoughts, which we've kind of already started to, to <clears throat> chat about here. Yeah, I liked the movie. I, I mean, I, I will go so far as uh, I, I almost loved it. I liked it a lot. I think that's probably I the like best. It a lot. I like it a lot. Um, though there were there were a couple of things in there that um, I felt like held it back just a bit mm-hmm. from from being absolute brilliant. Mm-hmm. But having said that, there was just a ton to like. What do you think, Steve? Rust. This is the thing. And we'll get to that, like, you know, the conclusions at the end. But I, I will tell you. Mm. Last night, I had a different rating than I had this morning. You had a different what? Rating. Oh, rating. Uh-huh. And it was lower last night than it was this morning. Oh. And it, it's the kind of movie that you got you to munch on it a bit. You know, this, the, the, sometimes you go in a movie and you want to have fun. You want to... You wanna, you wanna, unplant your brain from your skull, leave it at the door, eat a little bucket of popcorn and some soda, and, uh, you know, just have fun. Check out for a minute. No can do here. You got to have your brain plugged in. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? And I think you probably need to be eating popcorn, but you're probably going to be thinking so much that you'll forget to eat the popcorn at the end. You're like, oh, man, it's been three hours. Now it's... Bad popcorn. You're like munching on the popcorn bag. (laughs) (laughs) This butter's good. No, but the, uh, you know, you just played the trailer, so that's a good place to start. Yeah. Because we've talked about the trailers a lot this year, Mm -hmm. and sometimes they fit and sometimes they don't fit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I went into the movie 
not knowing what to expect. I, I mean, somewhat to expect, but at the same time with movies that have come out, I don't want to get my hopes up too high because I don't want to be disappointed. Uh, and I don't want to get them too low because then I'm not really excited or thrilled to be there in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, but the movie was both. It was kind of, it was a little bit of what I expected and then a lot of surprise. Yeah. Yeah. And especially considering the fact that we watched the original Blade Runner, uh, I think it was Wednesday night. And that was a big deal just because we haven't seen that. I know for me, I, I saw it about two years ago. I, I busted out my, my good old DVD version of it. I didn't have the final cut. There, there are like three versions yeah. of the film. I think I have the director's cut. Yeah. And I know that there has been a lot of questions on uh, the various forums just about, well, is it going to continue down the path that the final cut had, or is it going to deviate from it? And I think one of the main questions, of course, was, is um, Deckard, who's played by Harrison Ford, is he, in fact, a replicant? We'll get to that in a bit, Russell. And we will. Uh-huh. So, How- yeah. However, sorry to cut you off. No, no, you're good. Um, I did do a little bit of digging. And uh, the director... Oh, you're a chime. <laughs> uh, yeah, that must have been... Was that my brain thinking of an idea? <laughs> Man, that really does happen. That worked out well, didn't it? <laughs> uh, so, but the director did say uh, that he liked the the final cut. Blade Runner, the final cut. Uh-huh. And that's what he based this... No, he didn't like base the whole movie on this one, but right. that, that was his inspiration. Uh-huh. What you looking for, Russ? Uh, you look like yeah. At some point, your your eyes were darting this, that, and the other, and then you yeah, wanted to give me go a ahead, big bear hug. Keep talking. I'm gonna hunt down a tissue. Well, let's see. All oh, the right over there because I already picked one up earlier. No, oh, thank you. Um, so, like I said, I think you, it, you need to mull on it a bit. But um, I, you know, if I were to throw a few words in there, I would say it's deep. It's psychological. It's complex, kind of like the uh, snot you're blowing into that tissue. Oh yeah. Um. You can't watch it, leave the theater, and think, well, that was nice, and that's it. Like, this, this, it's a believable story, and yeah. you're, it, it takes time to resonate with you, and you need to talk about it. Like, you, just, you can't, like, I don't think you can just leave the ideas in your head. Like, you have to interact with people to talk about it. Right, right. And that might have been part of the purpose, mm-hmm. you know? Well, it's a deep movie. Even the first film, when the first film came out back in 1982, there really wasn't any other film out there that had such a forward thinking vision like Blade Runner did. And, and also too, just in terms of, of the, the source material as well, it was just, like you said, there was a lot to gnaw on and it's, it's kind of funny. We'll get more to that later in terms of the script and stuff, but, um, a lot of, of subsequent films that came out after the original Blade Runner, really borrowed heavily from a lot of the techniques um, that they they employed um, within the, the original Blade Runner. So there there is a lot, I think, that was riding on the shoulders of the sequel in terms of, okay, are they going to be able to really push that farther? And I think in some cases they did. Others, it, I think it was kind of more just standard Blade Runner fare, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. The other high-level thoughts I was thinking about, too, is the fact that um, I was really unsure about Ryan Gosling front fronting like this uh, or headlining this film. And I really thought that he carried the movie effortlessly. I, I really found myself enjoying his performance and just bought into it. What'd you think? Uh, that was probably <laughs> one of my last high level thoughts. Well, I'll go ahead and say it now. So you bring it up. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, this movie definitely deserves some awards, uh, not only for Gosling, cause he did a great job. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but also the direction and the cinematography, which we'll also get into oh, yeah. later. But I mean, um, you know, I, I'm oh, in the movie, in the theater. I'm still, still trying to figure out what a replicant it is. Is it a, you know, an Android? Is it a clone? Is it, you know, because there's a lot of different, okay, if it's this, then why is it that? If it's that, then why is it this? And you know, set, set far into the future, mm-hmm. sort of. Um, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> kind of, in our lifetime anyway. Um, Still no flying cars. <laughs> yeah. I want a flying car. Yeah. Um, you know, the the machine, I, I, just, I was thinking initially, let's just say they're a machine, because that was my initial That thought. was mine too. Like, I, for some reason, I thought that it was a like a synthetic being. Yeah. And so my mind goes to like Transformers where it's... Yeah. You know, or the Terminator, or, or the something. Terminator, yeah, or there's like these fixed motions and whirs and clanks and buzzes and stuff. Yeah, but these these hypothetical machines were so sophisticated that they still had that perfect movement that a machine would have, and not the imperfect movements of like a, a human. You know, if we like stumble a little bit as we're walking or right. something, and. I don't know. It's, maybe it was just me who noticed that, but a lot of the act not actors, not just um, Gosling, but the other actors who were mm-hmm. replicants too, had that. Like they had certain ways that they were they were walking that I would think only a machine would walk like that. Yeah, I, I think that they were probably coached a bit from the director as to yeah. how they wanted them to behave and whatnot. And I had the same question as you because I was leaving the theater trying to figure out, okay, what exactly are they? And I ended up looking because if you recall, I recorded like the very first part of the film with all the, the writing that came out. Oh, thank goodness. Cause that writing was kind of small. Yeah, it was a little oh. small, but I read on there, they are bioengineered humans. Ah, okay. So they are people. It's just think of it as like kind of a second cousin to cloning basically. But then again, Ryan, uh, I was about to really reveal something. I'll hold that. <laughs> what? <laughs> Give a spoiler away. I'll wait for that. Oh, uh, okay. But yeah, I, I totally agree. I think the film is a visual tour de force, just a feast for the eyes. Yeah. Every shot, I'm just like, oh my gosh, this is worth the price of admission right here. My eyes are very happy right now. And it kept the feeling from the first movie as well. Like, yeah. And, and maybe because you and I saw the first movie the night before which was highly rewarding. Like it, you, I would recommend if anyone was to see the movie who has not seen it yet, mm-hmm. you will, will be rewarded more if you go watch the original again before you go see this movie. Right. Uh, but the same exact feeling, I mean the same exact feeling I had watching the first translated into the second as well. Yeah. Um, it's crazy to see a return to the world of Blade Runner. Yeah. I mean, even though we just saw the, the first film the night before, still just being able to come back into it, and especially with today's special effects and just how they're able to visualize everything into something tangible, it's just, it's crazy. There's lots to take in, too. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot to think about, like we've we've been speaking about, but... Um, I feel like I need, I, I can't just go right back in the theater and see it again. Like I, I could go see Guardians of the Galaxy again. Yeah. Like I can leave the theater and be like, man, that was such a good time. Yeah. I'm going to go back in there and watch it again. Uh-huh. This one, I'm like, ah, I need to process a bit. I need to go outside and get some sunshine. And <laughs> Those were funny when we left the theater and we were blasted by the sunlight. <laughs> oh, we're like, ah, man. It was, it was a dark film. I, I, I don't think the, that it needed to be as long as it did. To tell its story. Yeah, it was almost three hours. It was That's like two a, hours and 44 minutes or something. Yeah, I mean, they, they do give you your money's worth, for uh, sure. Yeah. But 
I thought like, the pacing was a tad off. Like I, I didn't, I didn't think I, th- I thought some of the scenes were a little bit too long mm-hmm. and they could have shortened them up. And I didn't think the movie needed to be that long to actually say what they wanted to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of the, the high level thoughts I have is that Blade Runner is a world that is just, it's begging to be fleshed out. Right. With new stories, new characters, I think it's cool that we are continuing down this path of finding out what happened to Deckard, introducing a new character like Ryan Gosling's um, Officer K, as well as some of the other characters. That's cool, but it, it's it's still telling. It's still a continuation of the original story, and I would love to see these standalone stories get made, where maybe it's not necessarily an officer, it's some so, someone else entirely, or whatever. Just because it's such a a world that I want to visit over right. and over again. I, it's almost like, like John wick in a way. Um, not in terms of like how similar the two movies are together, but just like John wick is another world that's just begging to be fleshed out. It's, it's just, it has such potential to like t- tell these different, you know, assassin stories and how they interweave with each other and just having this kind of more, um, I don't know, symbiotic organic, type of, of just world that they live in. I think with Blade Runner that there's a ton, especially considering the fact that they also have other planets that they're colonizing and that sort of thing. Yeah. I mean, the sky's the limit is in terms of what they could talk about. I also thought that, um, even though this was very, 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 very good film, I thought that this was too late in a way I wanted to see, like I, I wanted to see this sequel a while ago. Uh-huh. I didn't want to wait you know, from 1982, even though I was born in 1981, but I didn't want to wait like this long <laughs> to have this sequel. I would rather see this story with like a, um, a younger Harrison Ford, like in between yeah. both. Yeah. Um, cause I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm stoked that we got to see it and it came out. Thank goodness. But at the same time, I think, okay, well, Harrison Ford's only got so much acting left in him. I mean, yeah. I think, what is that? He's 70. He, oh, at least, yeah. He's in his seventies. So, you know, someone else is going to have to take the reins here pretty soon. He, if this gets really, really popular. Yeah. Well, let's transition into cast slash acting here. Uh, of course, we already talked about Ryan Gosling. I thought he was terrific. I thought he was just a, a fantastic addition to the Blade Runner family. Of course, we were both very pleased as punch to see that Robin Wright was in the film. Indeed. I thought she also totally belonged in the Blade Runner world. I, and I, I have... I have this theory where I think if you were to take certain, well, not certain, but just a lot of different eighties stars when they were younger, you could probably fit them rather well into Blade Runner. And I, I I haven't really figured out a way to say this clearly, but there's a look that we grew up with as kids in the eighties where we saw these actors who were in their twenties and thirties they just had that kind of eighties actor look and it is, I don't, it's hard for me to place my finger on it, but this is a great example of Robin Wright who, you know, we grew up knowing her as um, being in the princess bride. And so seeing her make this, this awesome comeback, not only in wonder woman, but and, and house of cards and also now blade runner. It's just super cool to see these people who have aged but yet still harness just, I don't know, there's some sort of eighties magic there. And I feel like when it, uh, when it comes to something like Blade Runner, it's just great. I mean, even seeing that, that one guy, I can't remember the actor's name, but he was the, um, 
he played kind of a, just a small role in the original Blade Runner, but he had the cane. Oh, um, I think his name was Gaff. G-A-F-F. Something like that, yeah. yeah. And having him make another cameo in this film, still it was just like, yeah, he just he has that like, just that look. It's so cool. Yeah. Anyway, um, what do you think? <clears throat> no, I'm, I'm glad they uh, they brought back some of the cast. And uh, I, like I said, I like Gosling. I think he did very, very well. I think he should be nominated. Um, I like Dave Bautista. I think that's his name. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, I mean, you know, he's in Guardians of the Galaxy. I know. That's the thing. And he doesn't have a very long acting history. Like, no. His list of movies is short. But Wasn't he, only, he part of the, like the WWE? Yeah. 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 So, but I mean, that's like, you know, that, that's not even silver screen. That's <laughs> completely different. Um, but he did, for the small little time that he was in it, it was, was captivating, he wasn't was it? He was convincing. Yeah, yeah, he did. I mean, I thought at first, uh, you know, if he laughs once, yeah. like he's, it's going to be done. Yeah. And he didn't, and he kept it. And I thought, wow, you know, that uh, kudos for him. Yeah. He put it on. Sylvia uh, Hoax, uh, who plays Jared Leto's femme fatale. Love. She was badass. Yeah. Again, she had that... Um, that clone android uh-huh. kind of look to her and she could bring on the, the emotion in a second, but not kind of convey too much emotion. Sure. Like, like if someone starts to cry, you're like, oh, don't cry, don't cry. Oh, no, you, know, like you see their eyes welling up. She kept that facial structure yeah. all there. And then all, I don't know, that that was superbly done. Yeah, I thought it was refreshing to see a female have a ruthless, dreadful presence because you don't really see that too often. Like yeah. you'll, you'll see women who plot. Yeah. You know, or conniving women or something like that. But she really, when she was on screen, I had this like, oh no moment. Yeah. Like it was just like, something bad's going to happen. Yeah. You know, if we go back to Robin Wright for a second, I um, I was thankful to see her in another movie and I'm glad I'm yeah. still seeing her more. Absolutely. But at the same time, I thought her character could have been written more strong. Mm. Um. I wanted to see more of her. I wanted to see more of her, but I wanted her to see, to see her do more than just sit behind a desk a desk and be like a lieutenant and giving orders. And You know, I mean, come yeah. on. Robin Wright's way more capable than that. Let her do something else. I mean, we saw her in Wonder Woman. I mean, she could do a bunch. And then when Love came in, mm-hmm. L-U-V, Love. That was probably the best scene with Robin Wright. It, it was, yeah. but I thought you're just going to let, you know what, she's going to come here to kill you. I mean, yeah. you're just going to stand there? Really? I just thought that that could have been they could have written that a little bit better, but um, but as far as acting is concerned, she did a top-notch job. What do you think of Harrison Ford? This is one of the best I've seen Harrison Ford, and I'll tell you that straight face. Really? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I mean, watching him in the first uh, Blade Runner, we were like, oh, man, that's quintessential Harrison Ford right uh-huh. there. And then I saw him in Rogue One, and I thought... Rogue One. Or was it Rogue One? You or was it Force, Force Awakens? Awakens? I can't remember. I'm trying to remember all these titles in my mind. I'm sorry, Blasphemy Russ. over there. Uh, blasphemy. Um, I, I, just, I, I could pass on him in that movie. I was like, oh, come on, Harrison. You know, I loved him in, in, in Indiana Jones, and I loved him in the first Blade Runner. And this one, I don't know. He, he brought his character to the next level, I felt. Um, and especially with his age. Mm. It just seemed like he brought more that character to life and brought that character into belief. And even though it was like the last quarter of the film, I was like, wow, Harrison Ford, baby. Welcome back. See, it's interesting. I actually have more of the opposite reaction for Harrison Ford. Oh, well, we'll just pass right over that. Okay, anyway. Uh, uh, (laughs) I thought he was one of the more uh, weaker performances. Ah. 
I was actually really? happy that he was not in the film more than he was. Oh, okay. Um, I think that he, it, it was necessary to have him in the film. And I think it was kind of the same with Star Wars Force Awakens in the sense that he is one of the anchors of this world. And so, you ha- you know, if you're going to make a Blade Runner movie, you have to have him in there. Mm-hmm. So I thought that, that that was terrific. However, it's just, I think... I think there were there were kind of a variety of, of reasons why I felt that way. I thought that his line delivery was fine. I didn't have a problem with that. I did think it was kind of silly to watch him punch this younger guy, and he's like seventy something years old. It just <laughs> it, it was like, dude, you're not going to be hurting anybody. You're you're too frail. Yeah, but that's his character, though. It's his, yeah, it's his character, but. Um, yeah, like like I just I thought that, and again I think this is a testament to Ryan Gosling. I I, I fully bought into him as this this officer who hunts down replicants and that sort of thing. It was just it was great, and I thought Harrison Ford was was fantastic in the original Blade Runner, but in this one it just seemed like there 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 was just it wasn't bad, but it was just one of more of the the weaker performances. And uh, to be honest, I mean I I was kind of anticipating that to a certain extent just because, I mean, the guy is just, he's just old. And so he can't do a lot of the, the action sequences and um, some, some of the other things. And so it's just, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was appropriate considering the fact that he was in the, the last third of the film. And I, I just thought, you know, it, had he been in, in the film more than that, I think probably would have, honestly drag the film down a little bit. I'm glad, like I said, I'm just, I'm just glad how they decided to use them. Moving on to the next. We are forgetting somebody. Oh, Anna de Armas. I was, dude, uh, I'm looking I at my notes. I thought you were going to go to the next section. No, no, no. I was like, wait a minute. I was, was going to say, moving on to the next uh, talent on my list yeah. here. That's awesome that we both, oh, dude, jinx. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay, you go first. No, you go first. No, okay, no, you go first. Anyway, go ahead. Okay, no. Okay, so when I first, when she first got on the screen, I thought, yeah, but she's going to be a passable character. They're just kind of showing her for the background. She was a quintessential part she was. of the movie. Like that, they there was themes in the movie that had solely to do with her. And she played, ah, that movie could not have been as good if she was not in it. I totally agree. And I got, I was starting to think, you know, in the future, th- this is going to happen in the future at some point. I mean, we already have little robot people to satisfy this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. Companionship is going to be something that's never going to go away. People right. are always going to be lonely. They're yeah. always going to want folks to be with and keep them company. And if I'm manufacturing those things and there's a lonely dude out there, and I've been lonely before, you've been lonely before, and we want a female to keep us company, how would we make that female look? And sound mm-hmm. and act, you know. I mean, how would you program all that stuff? Seriously, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And, and I thought that who they got to play. Apparently, she's from Cuba. I don't really know too much about her acting career, but I, the only other film that comes to mind that I think she's in is called Knock Knock, and it's with like Keanu Reeves and someone else. I can't remember who it is, but I think it was kind of a thriller of a movie of so I never, like I said, I never saw it, but her face looked familiar because she had kind of a striking look in the, the trailer at that point. But so seeing her here, yeah, I totally agree. I think that that was absolutely one of the best roles in the entire film. Like if they didn't have her in there, I think that would have been a, a, a loss. You know, if I was to rewind for a little bit, um, back to Harrison Ford, uh-huh. when you mentioned 
him punching Ryan Gosling. Yeah. You know, he actually did hit him once. Yeah, actually, <laughs> that, I have that written down as part of the, the trivia that yeah. we're going to get to uh, toward the end there. But yeah, that was funny. Man, we'll get to that later. Good. And then you probably have the Gosling little thing that I looked up as well. Maybe yeah. I do. Maybe <laughs> I do. Tag team. Tag team. So when it comes to, let's see, Mackenzie Davis, who played the prostitute slash freedom fighter. She was the one who came over to Gosling's area. Um, in terms of her acting, her acting was was decent for what it was. I mean, she didn't have a huge part. Yeah. She played just this, 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 this smaller part. But she had the quintessential 80s look. Yeah, she did. I mean, looking at her, I was just like, wow, that is... Blade Runner 1982. Yeah. Like, it, it was just so cool. That's more of a costume design, Russ, I think, okay? It was, well, I, it's more <laughs> of like, like her facial structure and how she acted. I just, I felt like she just, she fit right into that world just so well. So I thought that was, that was worthy of mention. Yeah, I, I beyond that, I, I, I recognize that, but beyond it, I kind of thought she was a little bit forgettable. Yeah, like I said, it yeah. wasn't like a, yeah. a major role. What'd you think of Jared Leto? Weird. <laughs> I mean, he wasn't weird as in like Joker weird. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you know, I have I have a, a this, this, this similar feeling um, that I did with with Robin Wright's character, where I wish they were they were writing the actual character different. Okay. Because I think Jared Leto could have been better, but he was written to be off. Because I didn't. How should I put this? When I see a villain, I want to like the villain. Like, I like the joke. You want to love to hate him. I want to love to hate him. Yeah. And I just, he wasn't convincing as a villain. Like, okay, I saw him and he was a bad guy. I'm like, okay, this one, he's going to be bad. But when you saw, for example, the the CEO of the Ter- Terrell Corporation from Blade Runner 1, mm-hmm. he wasn't he wasn't an evil guy. He was very intelligent, sophisticated. I'm, I mean, he was going through algorithms with, with Roy. Right. You know, how he could expand the, Roy's lifespan. I mean, the guy was smart. Right. This guy, I didn't really, he didn't show smarts. He just showed like maybe he inherited the corporation and, and he had a bad side to him and therefore. Well, he he was an eccentric character. He he was someone who was uh, a brilliant person too. He was the one who, and once again, this goes back to uh, the the initial um, exposition that they had, the, you know, all the text on the screen at the beginning. They talked about how he was the one who really saved civilization through, um, I think it was like synthesized farming or something like that. But essentially, that was one of the problems with that. It was that they had this, some sort of like ecosystem disaster. And so he single-handedly was able to, to save the, the human race through this, this new type of synthesized food yeah. um, and then move on from there. So he, I think some of his ideology uh, was a bit questionable at the very least. You know, he, he had kind of this grandiose idea of wanting to just essentially replace humanity with this bioengineered version of humanity. And so I think you have more of uh, kind of these, these complex characters that, you know, it's not like you have black and white in terms of you're bad, you're good. It was, it's kind of more of this grayer area. Of course it's, more you know darker shades of gray because it's kind of like hey wait a minute I'm not sure if you should be the one to be in charge of making that decision yeah so but I I thought he had kind of an unpredictable mystique about him I do wish he was more in the film just because if you think about it he really didn't have that many scenes and the scenes he he um, was in 
it was like, okay, here's this person. He's he like he too is, is a bit eccentric. And I I realized that he was actually blind. Mm-hmm. He was a blind character. I couldn't, I wasn't sure when we were watching the film if he was in fact blind or if he just had like this enhanced division or something. But I realized that all those like futuristic mm-hmm. li- little floaty probes that were kind of following him around. That was his, his eyesight. Right. Or his senses. Yeah. Yeah. He was able to like kind of quote unquote see people and that sort of thing by those things floating around and getting, you know, readings on people, that sort of thing. So that, that was pretty interesting. Yeah. I just, you know, there was three short films that the director put out before. Did you see those? I never watched them. (laughs) Part of why I stayed up late last night. Um, You watched all three? I watched all three. How are they? they? They're, they're good. They're just short. Um, but, but they don't, it's a short film. It's a short film. I mean, short is in like six to 15 minutes, Yeah. but, and they are good, but they don't explain a whole lot. And so with the text in the beginning of the film mm-hmm. added to the short film part that he's in, to me, it just wasn't enough to really believe in him as a, as a decent character or a believable villain or a villain that I would like to see again. Like I, if he came back on screen and be like, okay. Show me some history. Show me some more development. Show me something else, you know, because right now I, I am um, willing to move on. Well, and that's why I wanted to see more of him in the film, just because I felt like there wasn't enough opportunity to be able to get to know who he was, who like what he's, we got an idea of kind of what he stood for in terms of just this one idea, but we didn't really know about his background or just some of the other decisions that he would make that were uh, moral in nature, that sort of thing. I, we just didn't have enough. It was like, here's a guy, he's this successful industrialist. He has all this money. He knows how to do certain things. So he, he's clearly a brilliant mind, but what else is there? Um, so, and it's surprising considering the fact that the film was almost three hours long. You would think that there would be more right. opportunity for that. Well, shall we dive into plot, Steve? Uh, sure, Rush. Okay. So my first thought regarding the plot is that it was rather simple. I think that um, it was relying a lot on the futuristic visuals and nebulous dialogue to give the impression that there is more afoot than there really was. So like, cause if you think about it, the plot itself at its core was that there was this baby that was born that they're trying to find that apparently was conceived by a human and a bioengineered human, AKA replicant. That's kind of the whole point of, of this, this, this right. movie is, is trying to find out where this baby is and, and where Deckard is that sort of thing. And so like, you know, if you drill down into that, then it's like, okay, well then how do you, how do you make this more complex? And so a lot of it was, was just, you know, you're, you're once again, you're dazzled by the visuals. So your brain is constantly processing just what's going on on screen. And then, like I said, the, the dialogue itself, which we'll get to later on, um, was also like, like pre- it was performed in a way that, well, first of all, had a lot of sophistication to it, but also was done it wasn't spoon feeding the odd, the audience. Like here's, here's what I'm saying. Here are my thoughts, my feelings. Here's the conflict, that sort of thing. It was much more insinuated, I guess. Like, like they kind of left like sentences half finished or they, 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 they completed sentences that were kind of open ended in terms of just how you as a viewer would interpret it, that sort of thing. But, um, 
I think that overall it continues the the oppressive dystopian theme of overpopulation, the collapse of the ecosystems, and just a, an overall breakdown of, of social etiquette. Did you feel that way? Like if you think of the, the original Blade Runner versus this one. I did, uh, but overwhelmingly I thought the question remained, what does it mean to be human, to exist? What does it mean to be alive? Mm-hmm. Um, and what defines or constitutes a life, you uh-huh. know, because in, in, in a lot of the movie, you can't really tell who is a replicant and who is a human. And you see Joe or K, uh, <laughs> Officer K, he's living alone. Uh-huh. He has very minimal human interaction. Right. Normal human interaction. And he is A-OK having a relationship with a hologram. Yeah. Uh, and the, the hologram is made to serve him. And not to mention the fact that that hologram was actually manufactured by right. Jared Leto. <clears throat> right. Um, but uh, I don't know. It, we give all these feelings and expressions to life and, li- and, and what they're spoon feeding us is either the marketing or it's um, what people think that we want mm-hmm. and they're just going to give it to us. They're going to tell us what we want to hear um, to make us feel better and accepted. Um, oh, by the way, if this ever happens in real life, please, for the love that's... <laughs> for the love of Pete, <laughs> if there's a romantic moment that you're about to have with your hologram, mm. <laughs> Please forward the call to voicemail. Don't have the thing pick up the call right before you're going to have a romantic kiss with the, the lights. Okay? I mean, I was like, oh, come on. We, 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 we harnessed every, like, carnal need and, and desire that, that us humans want. And then a call comes through. I thought, okay, Hollywood, really? Again? Well, this I, time? Think, I think it served to just reinforce the fact that, that she wasn't real. And I think I that, that it was great. To, I, I thought it was cool that it was actually in there just because I, for one, started to kind of get into the fact that, man, she's, she's real. And then all of a sudden this call comes in and you realize that she's just an application. It's, it's fun to put those things in because on the one hand, I was like, oh, man, I want to see them like complete this romantic moment. But at the same time, it's pathetic because it's not a real person. I know. It's not even a replicant. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's so... lights. Yeah, it's it's literally like like just this fancy 3D application. Yeah, but yeah, I mean the relationship K has with Joy is it's Joy. It's spelled J O I. So I'm assuming yeah. it's Joy. Right. Um, the relationship that they had just fascinated me. The idea of finding like a meaningful relationship with a holographic artificial intelligence is something that I think honestly is just around the corner of society today. I think that that we're we're getting to that point as we have our AIs be more mature and sophisticated. I mean, right now it's, it's still very archaic. Like if you look at Siri or whatever, it's, you know, or Alexa, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Um, but I, I would say, you know, 20 years from now, I would not be surprised to see AI that has a lot of those, those, um, social sophistication attributes applied to it to where you could have a full on conversation and they or it would be able to respond to you in kind to the point where you're looking forward to coming home and having a conversation with this entity that 
has a wealth of knowledge that learns your behaviors better than you know yourself. I mean, just, just having that, that um, level of human interaction. Who listens? What? Who listens to you? Oh, I think you said hula lessons. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure that'll be programming there too. Let me tell too. you, yeah. I want an AI that can teach me hula uh, lessons. That AI, and I want that AI to belly dance like Shakira. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, listening is a driving factor that, you know, just all people want to have when it comes to someone who would be classified as like, you know, quote unquote, a mate. Plus it stems more from this movie. I mean, there's the movie Her, does the same thing. I love that movie. And the movie Ex Machina yep. does the same thing. Uh-huh. Like, so it's on a lot of people's minds. Yeah, there, there has been recently a, a really neat exploration from directors with that that whole theme. But uh, yeah, I mean, it, it does dem- it demonstrates how a more socially sophisticated AI could facilitate being an ideal mate causing me to think about how detrimental it would be to the human race overall surviving long-term since reproducing would most likely plummet because you have this AI and you're just spending all this time with it and you're developing this, this virtual relationship. It's also Deckard's dog too. I mean, if we go past joy and you go to Deckard's dog in the end, when um, Kay says your dog is it real and Harrison was, Won't you ask him? (laughs) Sort of thing like, you know, we got bigger fish to fry. There's a lot more things happening that we need to be aware of. Well, again, it's like like you said, there's there's companionship on on multiple levels on that. But in terms of of Kay, he was fantasizing about coming home, having like the quintessential housewife that has, you know, dinner ready, which is so funny when she puts that, that holographic plate down. I don't know what the heck he was was going to eat, but that that was nasty. I know. I was like, they're just trying to cover it up. Uh, well, it could have been something. Remember in the beginning, uh, Sap or Sapo, I forgot what the John Bautista's character, he was farming these proteins. These proteins just look like maggots, like fat maggots. Yeah. Insects actually are a great source yeah, of protein. They are. Um, they were gross. Just, just ask Bear Grylls. No. Uh, anyway, <laughs> <laughs> so I uh, could, he could have been eating that, but I was thinking that too. Like, what was that? You know, I have to go back and like rewatch him. What does he have in his bowl? Right. And she right. goes, here's your food. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to look at like some stir fry, whatever, while I'm eating maggots. Great. You know, uh, going back to the whole like companionship thing as a side note, seeing the futuristic brothel that, um, I was just going to say that. Oh, you were your jinx. Oh, we're having another second jinx. Um, it was crazy how it really wasn't very private at all. Yeah, no, it was downtown. This is the downtown brothel. It was. I mean, I mean, it was like well, there was no privacy really, and and it exacer- it exacerbates the notion that in this vision of the future, relationships and morals have really taken a back seat, causing people to take the least risky route of fulfilling their desires. And there's just it's just shameless. I mean, I think that was one of the, the overarching visuals that, that was repeated throughout the film is there's a lot of sexuality in there, but no one's happy. It's, yeah. it, it, it's, it's at this, this very basic level of selfishness of, I, I need to have this satisfied. How can I do it in a way that doesn't put me out there too much? Like, like it's the least risky road to be able to, to, you know, get that accomplished. And so whether it's a, a holographic AI or, I mean, like once again, having like replicant prostitutes, I mean, it was just, it was 
weird seeing how they just had these these essentially like like these frosted glass cubes where people were literally like having sex next to each other and you could hear them and everything. you're just like my goodness like <laughs> this is this there's something right wrong out here the open yeah yeah you know another, and this is kind of spooky too uh, at least I thought it was is uh, back to Jared Leto mm-hmm. you never see him with a regular human you just see him with right assistants that are uh, replicants. Basically. Did they ever talk about how he lost his vision in the movie? They did not. Not even in the short film. Okay. Yeah, that, that was something that I was also wanting to know about is how did he lose his vision? Just little things like that. that or maybe they don't have to like explain everything, but just yeah. elude to something. <clears throat> I felt a real sense of loss when joy was destroyed. Remember when, when I think, what's her name? Love? Yep. When she smashed that little uh, uh, portable device that Kay had, um, honestly, I mean, I felt bad just just because that was what Kay, you know, based his kind of his his love interest into. But but also too, she was really the only positive element in the entire <laughs> film. I mean, that, that's yeah. one of the crazy notions about it. Everything else is so dark and depressing and hollowed. Empty. Yeah. Just, yep. there, there's just no life. There's no um, yep. carefree um, positivity, I guess you could say. And, and even though you have this AI who was designed and engineered from the ground up to be that way to make you happy. Yeah. <laughs> still, I think what was cool and, and this again, that I don't want to dig- digress too much, but I think, I was willing to buy into the idea that with this AI, the AI was sophisticated enough that it was self-aware that it, it was designed to be able to, to evolve and grow with whoever the person was that bought them. And as they accumulated more knowledge and even the upgrades, if you notice something in the film, I thought it was really cool how he was able to use his bonus money to buy an upgrade for joy and then as a result, she's able to become even more real in his life. Yeah. Um, he can take her with him. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just, just seeing that I, I felt a sense of loss at that moment. Cause I was like, Oh man, now there's no, literally there's no joy. <laughs> there's no joy. <laughs> uh, well, it, to me it was bittersweet, but to go just to touch off what you just said, I didn't know what that was in the beginning. He goes, oh, I brought you something. I'm like, no, he bought it. He bought her in some sort of digital necklace or jewelry or whatever. Uh-huh. And he's like, no, no, you can take. I can take you with me. Where do you want to go? Outside. That was a really cool scene. But I, 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 was, I, I thought, dude, what's in that little package? Because it wasn't that little jewelry looking package to me. That's what it looked like. It looked out. like yeah, it looked like a little necklace box yeah. or something. The original Blade Runner. Wait, oh, I'm sorry. He posted his I, index finger into the air. I'm stopping. I halted you. Uh, I was going to go on to say that uh, it, the whole joy, passing, crushing, whatever. Joy, gasm. No. Oh, ah, shameless plug. <laughs> it was bittersweet. I felt more more sorry. Not that she was gone, but I felt sorry. Er, for uh, <laughs> more for, sorry for K. Uh, because as he's, you know, he just got beat up and he's bloody and he's walking outside to the constant bombarding LA rain. And, uh, I was going to say, man, <laughs> LA is getting a lot of rain this year. I'm, why did that guy have such a hard time farming and growing plants? And then, I mean, just freaking irrigate it from LA. Yeah. Good grief. So anyhow, 
Joy points at him and then she's like starting to tell him stuff that, oh, you are special. You're the one. And he he thinks to himself, man, was she just programmed to tell me as a response yeah. to all that stuff, you know? And at the end, when she tells him, I love you with all that expression, I thought, is this thing an AI or just, I mean, how much learning is this thing it programmed with? But I thought, okay, in a time of need, maybe the writer of the, the software went, okay, there's going to become a, you know, a, a life-threatening moment. We're going to program I love you because that's what people are going to want to hear. And so, and I think he thought that because he didn't have any emotion on his face. Kind of he didn't have emotion most of the movie, actually. But uh, you would think he would after all this discovery when he saw that big, I mean, that was a huge. <laughs> Talk about advertising. <laughs> got ballerinas dancing in the me, streets. Man. I was like, yeah. whoa. <laughs> that thing's enormous. Yeah. And it's naked. <laughs> that's the biggest pair of boobies I've ever seen. Man. Kind of scary. Um, yeah, I totally agree. I thought it was a poignant moment when Kay realizes that his love interest was just this mass-produced AI product that wasn't exclusive or special to him. You could yeah. tell. I mean, it was just... But, you know, at the same time, having said that, I like... I really, once again, I, I've personally bought into the notion that this was an AI that was kind of similar to her, the movie Her, in the sense that it was an AI that if you bought it and you had this ongoing relationship, it would learn um, you on a, a psychological level and a social level. It, it, it would just, it would be constantly analyzing you and the, the folks, the creators who built the AI in the first place would probably have a lot of that built in to the point where as it evolved, it became more self-aware. So I think I, I think I'm going to choose to believe that when there was that moment where I think the AI was mature enough in its programming to understand it. I mean, it was self-aware. It knew it was, it was going to cease to exist. And I think when you come, when you get to the point of being self-aware, then regardless of whether you are a synthetic entity or you're, you are human or animal, whatever it is, you want to survive. And if you realize you're not going to, there is that moment of just trying to communicate something. Yeah. And I, and so that, that's, that's kind of how I, I think I took it. I think that, um, it would be too, I think it, it just, it wouldn't have, I don't know, for lack of a, of a better way of saying it, I don't think it would have worked as well. But I, I, that's not to dismiss what I just said, which was I do think that there was that that moment of realization where it wasn't like he there like she was the only one that she was the, like like and and I think that's where humanity comes back into play is the fact that there's only one person there's there's only one you. With her, it's like he could have gone back and bought another item he'd have to start from scratch again. <laughs> suck. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it was definitely interesting. You know, what was a poignant moment before we move on from joy is when she calls the call girl to come over to the house so that yeah. she could have a more meaningful. Did she call physical? Her? Yeah. Yep. She the goes, AI. Yep. Because she says, I knew you liked her. Remember? Cause he had, remember when he was at the brothel, he was just like having a yeah. drink out there in the open. Yeah. And, uh, that's when, chime turned on. Yeah. Actually, was that Pete and the Peter and the dragon, Pete and the dragon. Yeah, I think so. Anyhow, <laughs> it was just so cool. Actually, wait. Little, I think it was, no, no, it was, it was, it wasn't Peter and the dragon, Peter and the wolf. Peter and the wolf. Oh man. Peter I think you dragon. got Peach dragon Peach and dragon, Peter. Yeah. And the, and All the this wolf. Peter's Peter. <laughs> Peter. Anyhow, uh, it was Peter Griffin. So, <laughs> 
So she calls her somehow and invites her over and she's trying to synchronize her movements with the prostitute. Right. And she could have said, now please be still so I can synchronize with your movement. Yeah. But she said, please be still. I'm going to yeah. need to synchronize. Sort of like, I'm, this, I'm putting myself out there to please the person I'm in a relationship with. Mm-hmm. You know, with, I mean, whoa, all right. I'll well, have to it, obey an AI now. And her had a scene like that too. Yeah, exactly. Um, and again, it, it's just, it's so crazy to think about the notion that if you could d- design an AI that once again was constantly evolving itself, was organic, was self-aware, that could actually make choices itself. You know, it's just interesting that when you compare that to humanity, where humanity is also a system of um, choices that are predicated upon preconditioning. Like there are certain things that that will attract you, but um, that have more of a, a physical appearance. But really, I mean, a lot of our decisions that are made based on a romantic relationship have to do with things like like how we were raised around our parents. You know, a lot of our, our parents' personalities play a, a pivotal role in that sort of decision making. And there's, I mean, there's just a ton we could talk about, but we don't, we don't want to, we don't want to go down that rabbit hole. <laughs> um, I had, I wrote down here, um, to be born is to have a soul, which means replicants are no longer manufactured somewhere to be a slave, nor dependent on their human creators to give them longer lifespans and programmed memories. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, at what point, do we almost give these things that we're living with a soul? Because if they're giving us everything we want with all the expressions and the, the attitudes and everything we value as being alive, you know, what's a soul? What's a, you know, this, that, or the other. Yeah. Soul is something that, that is, has lots of, of different merit to it. And uh, it's been, yeah, you, you could once again. That's, that's that's another rabbit hole we could go yeah. down to as well. But <clears throat> yeah, it, it's interesting to to talk about the differences between something that is conceived versus something that is engineered. You know what else too? Because it seemed like they were having a rough time in the movie. Not necessarily a rough time with the script. I'm having a rough time. <laughs> yeah, a rough time, but with with crossing those lines because these replicants up until Nexus Six, I think it was called. I believe the most recent one was Nexus 8. Next, well, in this movie, yeah. yeah. But until then, they weren't capable of reproducing. Right. And them being able to reproduce, or they, they were created to it to with a certain lifespan, and then when that lifespan was up- Four years. Four years, they were going to die, mm-hmm. and that was it. That right? was it, yeah. And now they're created to live a lot longer, almost like a human life. Right. Um, but still made to die. And now that they could replicate themselves, it's like they, you know- well, and I think that's that. That's where the the main theme and the of the plot comes into play is the fact that now there's these rumors about how there's a human and a replicant who were successfully conceived, right. because that I think is is kind of one of the the walls that they were having to contend with, in the sense that if something is engineered in a lab versus something that was conceived between two people. Um, Moving on here, the original Blade Runner plot examined uh, the social dynamic of replicants coexisting with humans, and this sequel expands upon that general premise in introducing the idea of successful reproduction between a human and a replicant, causing alarm as to what the social consequential ramifications of that might be. And I think that that's 
kind of a, oh, now it's your turn to blow your oh, nose. Sorry, you're going to leave talking. me. Okay. I think that kind of sums up mainly like, like what you were getting at in terms of just what, what is a soul? What, you know, what are the, the, the quote unquote special rights that humans would have over replicants, that sort of thing. <laughs> I will say though, I love the first one third of the movie, the, the farm intro scene, getting reacquainted with the futuristic LA, all of that I thought was, um, just spot on. Whatever happened to the tree? Well, it was a dead tree. I know, but they, he was like studying all the pictures and I, I realized that, you know, it, it meant a lot more, you know, he had the date on there and everything, but it, he, the way he was studying it so much and talking about it and mm-hmm. going back to the, the, the setting, thought, okay, so, something's going to happen with the tree. And then, like nothing happened. Or did I, did I miss something? Well, there was a date that was yeah. etched um, toward the base yeah. of the tree, the trunk yeah. of the tree. But I think also due to like, like the ecosystems collapsing, I think that that was a, a, a visually arresting image because most of Blade Runner is centered around just a lot of concrete, a lot of architecture. Yeah, concrete jungle. It, seriously, I mean, you really didn't see grass or, or yeah. you know, bushes, trees, what have you. And so just even, even though that tree was dead, looking at it like that, I mean, it, it was just amazing to like actually see some sort of organic life. It was unfortunate that most of the futuristic LA wasn't explored more though. Um, you know, all, yep. all we really got was a peripheral tour, but no real drill downs. Right. Um, well, a film that comes to mind that successfully does this is collateral. Did you ever see that with Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx? I don't think I did. No. Oh dude. That's a, I think it's a Michael Mann film that, that if you haven't seen it, you need to check it. That is, that's good. I put it on the list. <clears throat> um, well, the city and its inhabitants play key supportive roles in the overall plot. Um, you know, I don't want to like, you haven't seen it, so I don't want to... Basically, Tom Cruise plays this assassin. He's, and, oh, Tom Cruise an assassin? No way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Believe you me. But he he has to assassinate these different characters. He goes on a mission impossible into oblivion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it also, you, you, you have innocence. <laughs> With a minority report in hand. I'm sorry. Okay, go. <laughs> I couldn't help it. I had to say you're, you're T-boning my thought process. Uh, let, me, let me start over here a bit. So, <laughs> so collateral. With Tom Cruise and Jamie Foxx. So like the fact that like in the movie, um, the city and its inhabitants play key supportive roles to the plot. So like the characters who are like, you know, Tom Cruise has to assassinate the innocents and the scum they interact with the layout of the city and how it tips the scale in favor of the two main stars. Because like there are moments throughout the, uh, the film where, I mean, just the city itself just seems alive and there's a lot that happens within that city that causes um, each you know, actor to get the upper hand at some point or other. But I don't want to go too much into it because you haven't seen it, but definitely put that on your to-watch list. It's really, really good. Did you feel the same way though? Like when you're watching the Blade Runner, how it just, it was like we saw the these um, cityscape shots and right. stuff, but, it, but I wanted to, there to be a bit more interactivity just in terms of... of moving the plot forward. Yeah. Well, that, that was, 
a bit of my issue with the cinematography, but we can get that a little bit. Mm. <laughs> you want to go on? What, what do you got to go on with? You you want to get into debate whether uh, Harrison Ford is a replicant or he isn't? Sure, I will say he's not. <gasps> okay, why? <laughs> <laughs> Do tell, Rusty Boots. Because the the theme of the movie is all about how a human was able to successfully um, get a replicant pregnant. How, that, how that's not supposed to be possible. And that right there, like, <clears throat> made the decision for me. I was like, oh, okay, there you go. Because if, if he was a replicant and then the other person, uh, the other character was a replicant and they end up having a, a, a child together, yeah, that would be also a miracle, because they're not supposed to be able to, to reproduce. But that was not what was said in the film. In the film, they were talking about how, like, the, uh, the notion, like what, what uh, Robin Wright's character was saying, the lieutenant, you know, if this is, in fact, true of a human and a replicant successfully reproducing, that's going to completely cause chaos. So... That's my take. What's your take, Steve? Well, I have to read you something because I, I can't just like give you little tidbits. I'm going to read something to you. So I want to make sure you, you flesh out your ideas and they're, they're in a complete entirety. If you want to go, I'll go. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little torn here, Russ. I, 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 and I, yeah. Yeah. Nuts. yeah. Um, <laughs> so, okay. Yeah, it gave me the impression that Deckard was a replicant, a replicant seven. Because they go from six to eight, but they skip a seven. <clears throat> like Rachel. She was like the uh, the prototype. Prototype, yeah. Yep. Able to reproduce, but not have the strength of the sixth. Like Roy was a six, and he was in the first yep. in the first movie. And he yep. was really, really, really strong. Yep. Um, like the sixth model or the eighth, because I think uh, Sap was an, an eight also. I think also Kay was an eight. Because I mean, yeah, they were yeah, both. K, I mean, they're all strong. Yeah, they're K, K was stronger. an A. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ridley Scott said Deckard was supposed to supposedly written as a replicant, but doesn't come out and fully say he is in the movie. Harrison Ford says Deckard is not a replicant. There's plenty to insinuate both ideas. Wallace, who's Jared Leto mm -hmm. in the movie, says Deckard was designed to meet and procreate with Rachel. At the end of the first film, you hear Gaff's voice repeating, it's too bad she won't live, referring to Rachel. And then again, you know, then again, who does? And he sees the original unicorn, origami unicorn, that is, right. at his door, left by Gaff, which represents Deckard's dream of the unicorn, was known by others than just Deckard. Mm -hmm. Which leads me to believe that it was one of those implanted memories. Um, and of course, Rachel did die during childbirth. So, uh, at the same time, Deckard shows all the non-replicant emotions, expressions, the non-verbal communication, human imperfections, movement, like walking and running, like I said, um, that supposedly more sophisticated models created after him don't do. From before 2019, which was the original movie, to 2049, Deckard is still more human with more judgments and processes and reactions. Um, so it wouldn't make sense in the story to have a very old model light years ahead in technology than uh, the other brand new replicants, unless there was like another Tyrell corporation that was also making replicants. Yeah. And I thought too <clears throat> that that one of the last scenes where they where they finally discover um, Deckard and Kay in that Vegas wasteland, mm -hmm. uh, Harrison. 
I got to refer to these people as one name. I'm getting <laughs> um, So Deckard runs down the stairs and out the door. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Kay runs th- right through the brick wall. Right. And I thought, okay, so like if, if Deckard was a replicant, A, he would be a weaker replicant able to reproduce. But then I got to think, okay, if Kay is a replicant and he's flesh and bone, if you could slam flesh and bone up against a brick wall, the brick wall is going to win, not the flesh and bone. So at the same time, what, what is he actually made with? Well, again, I think that that's where the bioengineered part comes in because in that, that initial text, it talks about how they were bioengineered to be like these superhumans. Like they're, they're basically like just super strong, like you said, and therefore probably have a lot more mojo in the system or something. I don't know, like, like just that they're a lot more of a dense mass. But they also don't feel pain. Well, yeah, and that's another thing, too, is, like, not being able to feel pain. I mean, that, that's all a part. Once again, it, it, I think the bioengineered part comes into play of, like, okay, if, if we were to make improvements to the, the, the human, how do you, you know, what, what would be on your, on your wish list? And I think part of that has to do with the fact that, that you wouldn't feel pain. You'd want to be a lot more strong. Um, and also remember, too, that, that the, the original idea of the replicants was to be able to um, work on those off worlds, places that were probably sure. quite hostile to humans in terms of the needs. So also too, they were talking about this Vegas wasteland being somewhat um, uh, what is it, radioactive. Yeah. And, and they, they read it and they said it was the radioactivity was nominal. Yeah. But at the same time, at some point it was very, very radioactive and could a normal human live there? Yeah. You know, and maybe that's why Deckard, if, maybe he was a replicant was able to live there solely by himself with no other human contact was because he was bioengineered to be stronger. Mm. So it goes both ways. Yeah. And and that's what part of the fun. And and honestly, Ridley Scott is kind of known for that. Even in the alien movies that he's worked on too. You know, I never watched aliens. Any of the aliens. I I, I've seen scenes out of them, but I, I, and I played the arcade. Uh, (laughs) We're going to have ourselves a bro date. Oh, Wait a minute. Hold the phone. I remembered something after Imdimic the movie. Mm-hmm. Rachel, the actress who played Rachel. Do you know what else she played in, Ross? That was part of your personal upbringing. I have no idea. Lois Einhorn, Ace Ventura. Oh my gosh. Are you serious? <laughs> I'm serious. That's crazy. And that, and kind of creepy too, but you, you can see her, I right? I see it. Yeah. Oh man, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's nuts! You know what I have to say to that. Oh, righty. Then. At some point, you're gonna have to like. I remember in high school, you you had a lot of the movie memorized. Mm-hmm. And we're entertaining people in the bus with like 25 minutes worth of memorized dialogue. Oh, in the movie. sure. At some point, you have to do that on the show. Yeah. We'll get to that. <clears throat> I think the final thought I have regarding the plot is that it was a trip to see Deckard's love return. You know, speaking of of the actress. Apparently they got her to come back and reprise her role. That was her. So when we were in the theater, I was sitting there, I'm thinking, wait, is that CG? Or or is that someone who looks like her? But is no, that was her. Wow. So that, that, that was, that was not exactly like plot esque, but I mean, just the fact that like she shows up cause like he's trying, well, you know, I'll I'll try and I'll, I'll I'll weave this into it being appropriate for the plot section. Um, The fact that Jerry Leto's character was trying to, persuade Harrison Ford to give him what he wanted by, you know, once again, bringing a bioengineered version of his wife 
or 11 inches back in, it was still, it was trippy to see that. I was like, whoa, that's a nice connection. So uh, I just had a couple more things to say. um, And then I'll let you move on, Rush. Okay. So I'm just going to read what I have written here um, because I think it'll go a little faster. I know we're getting a little, you know, push for time. It's quite okay. Quite okay? Quite all right? Quite okay. We're gonna go. We're, we're gonna stick with quite okay. I like quite a, quite a quite, <laughs> <laughs> quite a quiddle. Um, <clears throat> I think there's some sort of parallel between K sacrificing himself to save Deckard mm-hmm. and Roy from the first film also saving Deckard before dying himself. Um, I believe it was the same song actually for both scenes. Oh, okay. I think I, I could be wrong, but I think it was the same song, uh, "Tears in the Rain" or something like that. Or maybe I'm misquoting it, but uh, I think it was the same song. So okay. After watching both movies. Uh, anyway, I'll let you decide on that one, Ross, because you're the uh, movie buff. <laughs> uh, but I digress. Sacrificing themselves for a larger cause, the replicant cause, and that he, meaning Kay, also isn't the one to save the day, and that the fate of the future lives and dies with him, or doesn't live and die with him, but he alone is indeed special and has a special part, or a thread to play in the knitting or sewing together of what's to come. And I like themes like that. You see some of that in in Lord of the Rings where it's uh, even the smallest person can change the course of the future. I love themes like like this Mm -hmm. where he has this journey where he thinks he's something incredibly important and then he finds out he's not important and then in the end, he plays a significantly important part. Yeah, that's uh, a hero's journey. You're right. Uh, This last thing is actually not my own. I got it from uh, the the YouTube channel Looper, uh, but I thought it was intriguing. Looper. So he says... um, uh, in regards to the symbolism of the character's love and joy, joy was something that Kay longed for and could only find as a prepackaged product that he could buy. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, joy was something he could only see and hear, but never actually touch. And by the end, his joy is crushed by love. And love, as we see throughout the film, is both beautiful and cruel. By the end... Kay literally grapples with love and drowns her, all to save Deckard and reunite him with his daughter. For Deckard's love to live, Kay has to destroy love himself. Well, nicely said. Yeah, that's what I thought. Very nice. Yeah, because there are, when, when, you, when you look at a, a well-thought-out film, you have the different conflicts in there. I mean, you have man versus man. In this case, it's Gosling and Leto, or even, you know, like man versus woman in this case too, where, where, you know, you have the, the physical altercation between, um, K and love. You have man versus environment, which when the thing comes to mind off the top of my head, is just kind of that, that last battle sequence with the ocean, you know, they're, they're trying not to drown and that sort of thing, or the, the areas that are radioactive, that sort of thing. You have man versus fate, which is kind of like what that person from Looper was talking about, where um, you know Gosling was willing to sacrifice himself to reunite Harrison Ford's character with his daughter. You know, there there are other ones. There's like man versus self. There's uh, one other one I can't think of off the top of my head, but um, if I had more brain power, I'd be able to <laughs> tell you. That's cool, though. I'm glad you shared that. Yeah. Uh, let's see here. Let us go into 
script slash dialogue. Uh, I think this will probably be a quick one just because I had a hard time coming up with some notes about this, but essentially the script unsurprisingly is quite minimal. Just like the first film. I think that that is kind of a uh, intentional decision that was made where like, I, th- I think I mentioned this earlier where they have, certain lines of dialogue, but it's almost like, like the, the conversations are always stilted. Right. I yeah. would say the, the one, um, exception would be that of Robin Wright's a Lieutenant character talking and screaming and stuff to, uh, K. But really when it, all the other conversations you have, you have just either monologuing or there have, there are these like long drawn out pauses in between the, the responses from each one of the characters. So it's just, you know, if it's not that, then it's fragmented unfinished sentences that, that are intentionally designed to leave it up for interpretation for the viewer. That was really the only kind of note I had regarding it. I I didn't um, really hear any kind of memorable dialogue except for when he said her eyes were green. I think that's what everybody will walk away with. Yeah, I don't. I didn't find any takeaways either from it. Um, a lot of the lines were were forgettable. However, uh, they did fit the film, and I think that fans of the film or of the original film worked on this script too. Sure, uh, because everything fit. It just wasn't anything that you're gonna say in your life. You know, you're not gonna say to somebody, "Oh, she had green eyes." You know, I, it's, yeah, uh, it's forgettable. Um, yeah, I, I am. Um, I'm just reading my notes. I, I tried to find out something, but um, let's see. Uh, yeah, no, that's 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 quite all right. Yeah, I don't have much to say about the script. Well, I have a lot to talk about with oh. regards to cinema photography, and I want to kick this segment off with showing you this video I found. It's actually something that IMDb put together. I think it's great, but. Um, it is a shot-by-shot comparison of the Blade Runner trailer running right next to the original Blade Runner trailer from 1982. Hmm. And what was really neat about the whole thing was that the, the filmmakers decided that they wanted to pay homage to the original trailer of it. And so they set up all of these shots exactly the same way in terms of editing and uh, whatnot as the original. So what I've done is I have actually posted this on our, um, our YouTube. So if you do a search on YouTube for joygasm TV, just look for the, the movie trailers playlist and you'll see the blade runner shot by shot video up there. So that way you guys who are listening to it, even though you can't see it at this point in time, just reference it on our YouTube channel and you'll be able to see exactly what we're talking about. But I don't, I didn't think that you had seen this yet. Have you seen this yet, Steve? I saw a whole lot of trailers. I don't know. I want to push by and, and, and uh, we'll see. All right. I stayed up pretty late last night and saw a bunch of stuff, so. Um. <laughs> so you can see the top portion Never is Blade Runner 2049. The bottom part is the original Blade Runner trailer. It was built off the back of a disposable workforce. But I can only make so many. Shh. Happy birthday. There is an order to things. That's what we do here. We keep order. 
world is built on a wall that separates each the cut is like really identical like uh -huh. the, the, the time between no cuts wall. you bought a war you're a cop I did your job once I was good at it Glad they kept the blaster uh -huh, from the. What do you want? From the first one. I want to ask you some questions. The key to the future is finally unearthed. Bring it to me. They know you're here. told you you're special your story isn't over yet there's still a page left isn't that cool it's pretty cray cray i mean th this is the kind of thing that i i just nerd out over <laughs> and you know, when you have people who are paying that much attention to the source material, they understand that you have this huge fan following to something. I I would have never put that together. Yeah, you it had enough. No, I really would. I mean, just looking at it, the fact that they made it a point to like painstakingly kind of just just draw a parallel to the original trailer of Blade Runner, but then have the the Blade Runner twenty forty nine footage in there. It's just cool. Yeah. I'm glad they, you know, I'm kind of glad and I'm kind of not glad that watching both parallel, you can tell that the technology is the same Yeah. as far as in the movie, what was, was concerned, like with the, the aircraft cars mm -hmm. and whatnot. Well, cause you figure it's only 20 years later, or 20 years. Cause it was like, it was like 2019, 2019 well, 24, 30, 40, 30 years. Is it 30 years? Yeah. 2019, 2020, it's about 20, isn't it? 2019 to 2029 to 2039 to 2049. Okay, yeah, 30 years. <laughs> Apparently, <laughs> I don't know how to do math. Um, but at the same time, within 30 years, you'd think they'd have a lot more technology than they, they actually did in the movie. Like, it didn't didn't evolve that much that fast. Yeah. <clears throat> um, anyway, I just had to show you that just because... Ugh, <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a, a great segue into cinema photography just because... That's what cinema photography is about, is, is having the, the frame shots and, and the lighting and everything else. So um, in Blade Runner 2049, the cinema photography is some of the best I've seen in a while. I, and we've talked about this earlier in the program. It's just gorgeous. Yeah. Every single shot you see, you're, it's just visually arresting. I, I was really imp impressed by that. They painstakingly recreated the same approach to establishing shots and camera movements that are exclusively recognizable as Blade Runner shots is what I call them. You know, it's like those long drawn out shots. If you see like a, a car that's flying through the air, it's that same exact feel right. as the original. Um, the, uh, the architecture is a cornerstone in the world of Blade Runner for both films. Um, 
in that they have fun revitalizing dated architectures such as Art Deco, mid-century or Victorian era um, by incorporating colorful modern lighting. And I think that's a, that's a pretty slick way to go about it to give that sense of, of future um, in the sense that like you have the the notion that like you're you're constantly building upon the past in the sense that like you you know as as civilization grows you have older parts of a city versus newer parts of a city and that sort of thing and so the you know in this film we see certain buildings that are more futuristic like the the police station that sort of thing but it's really clever how they go about giving more of that futuristic vibe by intentionally using certain genres or, or period pieces of architecture that actually are quite old. I, I don't know. I think that that's really, really cool. And it got me thinking actually about how anytime that we watch a movie that takes place in the future, you'll notice that the approach to how the sets look like, for instance, I'll use back to the future part two when they actually go into the future. What's interesting about it is, is if you study the way all the characters are dressed, the way the cars are designed, the, like the visual aesthetic, the speed forms, even the architecture, it, it, what, what it is is essentially a heightened or like a high, high fashion version of what it was currently the trend in all of those things. So like because this, I think Back to the Future Part 2 came out in like 1987, somewhere around there. And so during the, the 80s, you had very 80s-esque architecture. You had very 80s styled of fashion and dress and that sort of thing. And so it's interesting looking at that, how like they, that was as far as they could push it. You know, it's the same kind of thing with like the original Blade Runner, for instance, because that was in the early 80s. You know, you had certain limitations in terms of, of what they were, they were able to visually storytell. And as a result, it's like you had also like things that were very 80s. Now, they were very high fashion 80s, but they were 80s nonetheless. Um, I think that and I, I don't want to digress too far on this, but I think that's why Star Wars has remained um, mostly timeless. You know, if you watch Star Wars, there's not that that kind of dated sense because they ended up kind of um, smashing together, like doing mashups of different types of periods. So like if you take like the Imperial soldiers, for example, like on the, on the star destroyers, that was essentially like it Well, they, they took various um, aspects of, of like the German Nazi soldier uniforms and they mixed it with kind of more of the seventies style. And so it was kind of weird how like, like you, you had these echoes of different time periods that were mashed up together. And so as a result, your brain doesn't, you pick up subconsciously certain things. Like for instance, like, like the Nazism was, um, obviously you have, everybody has a negative connotation associated with, with what took place with that group. Um, and so that that's played subconsciously with the evil empire, you know, but, but it's not something that's like on um, the surface where it's, where you take it at face value, like, Oh, those are the Nazis in space. You know, it's not like that. Space Nazis. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, what did you think of, of uh, just the architecture overall? Well, uh, it was definitely intriguing. I, I liked the variety uh, in the movie, uh, but Maybe maybe I should just get to my thoughts on the cinematography because uh, all altogether, um, 
because what they did when, when it was the good parts, they did a marvelous job. And mm. I mean that in every way I can. It, it was very, 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 very good. Um, but however, with the Blade Runner setting, with everything foggy and rainy and dark, um, I, I almost wanted it to be more open mm. because when it's so oppressing yeah. as it is, and then you have inside shots where people are in an office or they're in a room or they're in that, you know, that little child slave labor camp mm -hmm. orphanage kind of yeah. thing. You're either inside in four walls or you're outside with me when you can't even see 10 feet in front of you, you know? And so I thought, man, just get me, you know, I, I want to see more, but clearly, mm -hmm. you know? Uh, and so some parts of the architecture I appreciated, but I really had to look for it at the same time. It's interesting that you said because the junkyard is really the only scene where it's in daylight mm -hmm. and it's clear skies. And he really, I mean, aside from the junk that's on the ground, there's plenty of open space, but yeah. it's weird because it still had that, that oppressive quality to it. Yeah. Anyway, but very stylistic to Blade Runner. I mean, if, if Kay was just walking towards his car, mm -hmm. his car was angled a certain way, a certain way, uh, and the way he walked with the pace that he walked uh, and that you couldn't see past the car because of the fog or whatever was there uh, and the colors in the same scene. I mean, it was like top-notch stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We also see glimpses of futuristic geometric behemoth structure exteriors, um, such as the police station or like some of those other, like the old, old Tyrell Corporation building or whatever. But I was surprised at how the interiors are rather lackluster and plain. Yeah. That was something that I was surprised about. And I realized that they're having to build upon the original Blade Runner. And so there's a bit of a problem because the original Blade Runner was made in 1982. They didn't have all of the technological advancements that we enjoy today in 2017. So that kind of shackles the creators because since this film takes place 30 years later, it's not like they can do this huge once over with everything else. I mean, they, they really do have to stick to what would be expected, which I mean, at the end of all things, it's okay because this is the world of Blade Runner. So it's just kind of funny how like there are certain aspects to it, whether it's the instruments that they're using, um, you know, the scientific instruments or yeah. the, the rooms themselves, but they just, they, they retain that eighties clunkiness. <laughs> that's, that's just, this is kind of funny. I hope they have the Blade Runner squad car at one of these comic cons. Cause I'm getting it and I'm taking my picture. Oh, you, <laughs> I'm getting a selfie. I have a feeling they may have had something like that. Some yeah. sort of promotion at this last year's SDCC, but maybe you'll get lucky. And in a future SDCC, they'll, they'll have something for you. I watched an interview with Harrison Ford. It was about 30 minutes long, and he was saying that they used quite a bit of practical effects in the movie. Oh, yeah, I believe it. Yeah, it was more... They did use CG, but more practical effects. I mean, it, he said it was more CG accents is the word I think he used. Yeah. Uh, terrific attention to framing each shot. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, wow, like the balancing the, the actors and the environments together. Yeah. It was like a photographer's dream. You you right. look at that and just if you were to like just mute the the movie and actually have the ability to pause it at any given point in time, just wonderful composition and framing. Yeah. Every time. It's it's just all the, the foreground, midground, background elements, they all worked really, really well. And and of course the lighting has always been a recognizable signature from the original Blade Runner. 
And this one carries the torch while enhancing it as well. But just once again, you know, it's amazing like how far we've come in 2017 with being able to do all kinds of things with lighting and whatnot. I really appreciated the movement of the lighting because in, in the original movie, you just had kind of spotlights that were moving around and stuff. But in this one, they were actually incorporating a lot of the architecture shadows, like the core shadows. For instance, when he was in Jared Leto's sanctuary, I guess, or whatever <laughs> it is, if you noticed, a lot of it was very contemporary, very modern design. Right. And you had a lot of um, the the continuation of it's, it's what I call the blind shadow effect, but essentially like, like what was really popular in the eighties was to like, you know, use a Fresnel light or something, cast it through a window that had blinds that were there. Right. And then it gave that, that yeah. kind of horizontal stripey yeah. shadowy effect. So it was cool to, you know, an example of what I mean by, by, you know, carrying on and continuing the, the, the torch at the same time, enhancing it. Like there was that one shot where, they're walking down. They have those big um, kind of uh, replicant statues that were encased in, in glass. Yeah. And you had those, those you had, I think the light that was coming down from the ceiling, but it was moving. And, and as a result, due to all of the, um, the actual pieces of architecture, you had all those lines of core shadows and highlights going across them, you know, across the floor and whatnot. It was just, it was just really cool. I appreciated how much, nature was incorporated in the compositions as well, whether it was rain, snow, ocean waves, barren wasteland, desert, even the dead tree and how they all complemented the buildings, vehicles, and technology. Like, um, this is something that I've noticed that there has been this ongoing trend and I really like it a lot in, in the last few years especially when it comes to like sci-fi movies or movies that take place kind of more into in the future, they really do incorporate a lot of nature into it. And I don't know what it is, but I just think it, it's just, it's just sexy. It's so cool to see like, like you see, like the way the rain was, was, was um, being pushed along the windows of Kay's officer car, you know, while it's flying and just the way it was creating those streaks across there, or even like seeing the dead tree, among all this like ashen soil and stuff or, or the snow. I mean, like, like toward the end when, mm -hmm. when Kay is back um, in LA and you see that there, it, it's, it's just so striking. The contrast of everything is just, well, I think that has to do with all of the superficialness in the movie versus nature, which is, hundred percent natural, natural well, nature. Absolutely. And I found myself as a human, I was desiring to see nature. It's funny how yeah. we, as, as people, we, there is an underlying need to, to be around nature, whether it's grass or, or, you know, any kind of foliage, whatever, there's a longing for that. And it's crazy. Cause like just being a viewer watching this movie, <laughs> green. Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. Like, like you're, we're only in that theater for about three hours, but like during that time, anytime we actually saw some semblance of nature, I was like, Oh my gosh. Yes. Thank you. Like, or even, I, or even like blue sky. I mean, yeah. Even, even the fact that like when they were going along that, 
dam that like kind of held the, the ocean back or whatever, just seeing the water. And it's interesting how Blade Runner constantly uses water in different forms. Like I just listed, I mean, like whether it's rain or snow or oceanic waves or whatever, I mean, there, there's always this water thing that's there. And I don't really, I'd be curious to find out if there is some sort of purpose to that. Um, anyway, <laughs> I love the visual effects creating uh, fabricated memories was just a real, it's probably one of my favorite sequences when the girl was in that room and it was like this, like almost like a hollow deck or, or danger room from the X-Men, you know, where like, like it just, you could recreate these things, but having her create that birthday moment, what I was, it was just, you know, that's coming down the pipe at some point. I mean, yeah. it, may, it may be 50 years from now, or maybe it's less. I don't know, but that reminded me of Star Trek. Yeah, very Star Trek. They did that, that bug that they made. Mm. Oh my goodness. I, I mean, I guess we're getting to some point where we can just put all these details in these bugs, but that looked like we were looking at it under a microscope. Yeah. Yeah. That was, that was impressive. Yeah. Um, but also the cityscapes, the junkyard explosions, the holographic effects, all of it, it just played really nicely into the world. It just made it seem larger than life, which again, maybe why <laughs> it made me wonder like what else was going on in the city. That's why I wished we would have had more than just a peripheral exactly. tour of it. I wanted to get down and exactly dirty into the whole thing. So it was also a nice contrast seeing these neon brightly lit visuals against a dark, soggy, dank. Oh, you had to have it though. Yeah. Depressing, <laughs> honestly depressing city yeah. and it's people desensitized to all of the glitz, to all of the neon colors and lights and holographic images. It was, it was just, it was interesting to see how, and again, a lot of the imagery that was up there was rather sexual in nature. There, there was just a lot of playing on, on the lust playing on, on just, you know, instant those, gratification. Yeah, very much so. Instant gratification. And the people who are walking by are just desensitized to it. Yeah. Like, like, I mean, you and I sitting there in the, in the theater, you're just blown away by like, like we were laughing earlier about like seeing some like huge woman. That's like the size of <laughs> like a skyscraper come down and, and, and uh, pay attention to you and like, you know, freak you out. Yeah. But, but these people are just, you know, they're, they're so desensitized to it and they just carry on with their life and whatever. And it was interesting too, to see the contrast be, um, between the personas that were generated from these commercial products, you know, as, as being this utopian joy, this happiness and everything else. And then you have, on the other end of the spectrum, the people who are just going about their daily routine and they just are the complete opposite of yeah. that. It's just crazy how like, like much of a disconnect there is with, with, with all of that. Did you have any other comments regarding cinema photography? Steve? I did not. Um, I kept mine pretty short and concise and sweet. I honestly hope that they are nominated for some awards for cinematography because it. I said it, that in the beginning. It was just it was insane. I mean, just just looking at each one of those, I I can personally cannot wait to actually go back, watch the movie again, just so I can drink in those those visuals again. I thought they were. I can't really wait to well. throw something at the TV if it doesn't get nominated for an award. <laughs> No, there goes another TV. <laughs> yeah. So moving on to soundtrack here, the soundtrack I felt was a total love letter to the original Blade Runner and the eighties in general. And 
what I mean by that is that there, there were just, of course, lots of synthesizer goodness to be found. <laughs> Hans Zimmer has always incorporated synthesizer textures a lot um, of times in his work. So he was a good choice for this film along with Benjamin. Uh, I believe his last name is Walfish. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that Starfish, correctly. Starfish, <laughs> Benjamin Walfish. <laughs> um, but yeah, they were successful in arranging a, a cacophony of abstract sound art that complemented the visuals perfectly. I personally am not a huge fan of synthesizer soundtracks, but I do feel it is appropriate for Blade Runner. Blade Runner is just like Tron in that sense. I want to, to hear that. I will say, though, that there are times when if you can combine the synthesizer sounds with more of an orchestral arrangement, that's also really nice too. But yeah, a lot of drones, a lot of the, exactly. Yeah. A lot of that, that going on in Blade Runner, which like I said, it's, it's a part of this, the Blade Runner experience. So it fits the movie. But when I think of soundtrack, I think of a CD. I want to throw in the, in the car and listen to music and show people. And if I go, Hey, listen to this, it's going to move you. It's really cool. All I hear is, you know, what was heard in the movie. They're going to look at me and think, what are you doing? Like, what? this has no melody whatsoever, you know? It really doesn't. And that's why I was saying it, it, it's like this cacophony of abstract sound art because right. it was much more um, centered around trying to, once again, evoke more of the emotion of that particular scene that you were watching. And even actually almost enhance some of the sound effects. Like if you, if you had a car that like flew by the screen, you'd hear the sound effect of the vehicle, but also the music would also kind of almost act as an echo to it, uh, which, which was interesting. It, it definitely made it more immersive. I felt like, yeah, I don't think it's going to win any awards, but it definitely went cohesively with the movie. So. Yeah. And that's the most important part. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's transition to costumes. I, thought that joy had the best outfits of course she, she had the most outfits she did <laughs> but they they had that like futuristic vibe out of all of them the most yeah she's the, the only character that had any sense of fashion yeah and, and that was something that was really cool too was just watching how once again the this this ai was constantly changing itself because it was reading Kay's mood and so it was trying you know in the end of all things for the for ai the AI wants to um, achieve at making you happy to like, you know, in this case for, for joy. And so it was interesting how when one thing wasn't working, then the AI would all of a sudden just switch to another outfit and then switch again to another outfit, just, just trying to find, okay, what is he in the mood for? Yep. What, what does he want? Yep. You know, that sort of thing. Very interesting. But yeah, each one of those, I thought, wow, that is really cool. Like that is something I, I definitely has that, that futury quality to it. A lot of the other ones were just kind of like yeah. Harrison Ford's wardrobe was disappointing. Well, I mean, a, lot, a lot of their wardrobes are disappointing. But I mean, Harrison Ford, if you think about it, he, he looks like how we dress today. I mean, he was basically in pants and a t-shirt. There was nothing well, future about it. It was he did have his wardrobe from 2019, which is only two years from now. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I want Kay's coat. I like that. Coat. That was a, you know, that actually reminded me of Watch Dogs. I haven't played Watch Dogs. It's not exactly the same. There are certain things that, that are I've similar. Seen, I've seen similarities to that coat. But yeah. Yeah. 
but I, I want that coat. It's kind of like that. It's a, it's a new trend on the pea coat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like it. <laughs> Jared Leto's suits I thought were cool, but the whole Jedi robe thing was yeah, a bit too much in my opinion. Yeah. It possible. didn't work. Yeah. I, you know, that combined with the beard and it was just, it was yeah. kind of like this weird, like twisted Jesus slash Jedi funky. I'm like, no, yeah. that it, doesn't it, keep him in suits. He doesn't, I'm telling you, his character, the way he was written, didn't fit the film. If he was somebody else, it, it, it could still be Jared Leto, but his costume, the way he was portrayed, just didn't do it for me at all. Yeah. I also liked Loves, who was uh, Leto's killer girlfriend or whatever. Um, killer assassin assistant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought her outfits um, were really cool. She was probably my second favorite right behind Joy. I mean, yeah. just everything she wore, I was like, wow, that's really cool. Her knives were just gnarly looking too toward the end there when she was fighting K man. I like, I like that white outfit. I think she was wearing in the beginning when, uh, when there was a, uh, a deal, a sales deal happening between her and another, and another client uh and the way she was dressed then. I think she actually carried that outfit through a couple of different scenes, but, um, I thought, Hey, I could see that. And you know, Mm -hmm. evolve in the future, that outfit right there. Yeah. Let me think here. I have a little bit of fun Blade Runner trivia, courtesy of IMDb. It's not nearly as big as some of the other ones that we've covered, but there are some nuggets in here. It was worth sharing. Mm. To see the start, the while shooting a fight scene, Harrison Ford, and this is one that you actually um, talked about briefly at the beginning. While shooting a fight scene, Harrison Ford accidentally punched Ryan Gosling in the face. As an apology to his co-star, Ford invited Gosling to share a bottle of scotch whiskey with him. That's a man's way of dealing with it. Burying the hatchet. David Bowie was Denny Vin... Oh, I'm going to say this wrong. Vinivu? Vinivu? It was the... I'll say the director. David Bowie was the director's first choice for the role of Neander Wallace, but passed away before the start of the shooting. And, of course, that is who Jared Leto plays. So that's pretty interesting. I read that, too. Have you ever seen the movie The Prestige? Yes, you showed it to me. Uh, I love David Bowie in that. Hmm. He was the guy with the mustache. You liked that movie a lot more than I did. You were... You were, you were I pretty, was a big fan yeah. of that. Yeah. Another one of those Christopher Nolan masterpieces. Yeah. The role of new Blade Runner Officer K was written specifically with Ryan Gosling in mind. Indeed. I think I was going to say that before when we were talking about cash. Ah. I held my tongue. He was the only choice for director. I'm going to say it wrong again, but I think it's Denis Veneveu. Veneveu. Ooh, I may have got that right. Veneveu. Something like that. Jared Leto traveled to Budapest, Hungary in September 2016 to film his scenes and was wrapped in just under two weeks, which makes sense because the guy is barely in the movie. Uh-huh. It's like, man, you need to have that guy in there more. When Kay enters a building to find Deckard, the sign above the door reads in reverse, Hang Un. This is Korean for good luck. City speak was comprised of many languages to include Korean. And actually that was something I forgot to mention early on in the podcast. I have loved the, the, the how they use Asian um, 
characters, characters and whatnot throughout the uh, the film. But for some reason, every time I look at those, whether it's Japanese or Korean, whatever, they 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 just have this cool futuristic vibe about them that just really works. It just even when, when we're playing video games like Wipeout, for instance, mm-hmm. like well, it was a classic older one. I think they may have had some Asian characters in there as well. If not, it was pretty close to it. But like just seeing that, I don't know. It, it just it just looks super cool. The next one we have here, Steve. Mm-hmm. The opening scene in which Kay confronts Sapper Morton is a near exact remake of a scene written and storyboarded but never filmed for the original Blade Runner. Pretty cool. Mm-hmm. In order to portray the blind character of Neander Wallace... Jared Leto decided to fit himself with opaque contact lenses that made it impossible for him to see anything. Mm-hmm. That's some method acting right there for you. Indeed. I, I would think it would be hard to take those out because you can't look in the mirror and be like, okay, what am I doing here? That being said, <laughs> I, I've never worn contacts and I can't stand stuff close to my eyes, so I can't. I probably will never wear. I can hardly even deal with eye drops, let alone contacts. His eyes did look cool. They did. They look like something out of, um, uh, what's that uh, movie with uh, Vin Diesel in it? Uh, like a knock- Fast and the Furious. No. Knock- Iron it's a, Giant. It's the Nocturnal movie. Oh, uh, Chronicles of Riddick. Yeah, that one. Well, that one, and then there's one before that one. It's like a prequel. Riddick. I don't know. <laughs> but you're getting close. Riddick, Riddick. Riddick, Riddick, Riddick. Riddick returns. Riddick is back. Riddick is buff. <laughs> <laughs> Riddick is blind. <laughs> Sylvia Hoax is the second Dutch actor to be cast in a Blade Runner movie as a villainous android. Dutch actor Rutger Hauer, 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 something along those lines, famously played by Roy Batty in Blade Runner 1982. And the final one I have here is that Ryan Gosling turned down the role of the Joker in Suicide Squad. Yeah, I read that too. That is insane. And that, and of course, as we all know, the co-star Jared Leto was cast instead. That I love little tidbits like that. I mean, it just shows how much of a small world it is. And, and there's just, once again, it's like, there's these parallels that are constantly going on with, with regards to these movies. This is crazy. So I, I have now gotten to the point now, Steve, where I would like to know how many stars would you give Blade Runner 2049? I would give it four. And here's the thing. Um, throughout the entire movie, I'm constantly wondering who was actually human and who wasn't. And it kind of felt draining after a while. Added with that, the, um, with all like the raininess and the darkness and, 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 and the, you know, the radiation or the fog and the claustrophobia, I felt like at some point I needed to get out and I needed to be refreshed, <laughs> you know? And then... I need, like I said in the beginning, I needed to feel the wind on my face. I needed to eat a meal. I need to see the sunshine, uh, you know? <laughs> so, um, yeah, there's that anyway. But, and so that, that there was, that was a little bit of a, of a issue with, with that for me. And, uh, the fact of the, the, the pacing was a little off and a little awkward at times. And also the fact that the movie isn't for everybody. Yeah. This is definitely pure science fiction at its best. Yeah. And I do, but at the same time, I feel like it's a movie we needed. We needed a movie like this. Mm-hmm. Uh, something that that's so thought provoking and gets you to think it's not just some you know, Hollywood cash grab, eat a bucket of popcorn and then leave again and you're entertained, whatever, <clears> you know, <throat> on to the next one. This is something, it, it's way deeper than, than that. I felt like we, as a viewer, needed this film to come out. 
Um, so yeah, with, with those few things, that's why I, I didn't give it a, a five, but definitely a solid four. Yeah, no, I'm right. I'm right there with you. I give it four stars as well. I absolutely enjoyed going to the film and I totally agree. I think that we need to have a lot more sci-fi films in the same vein. I, I, one one of the games that actually comes to mind is mass effect Two. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Just in terms of the soundtrack, it's very synthesizer esque. You have, um, kind of a, it's, he's not an officer per se, but there, there is, um, I'll, I, there are parallels of that that are arguably pretty similar in terms of, of just the overall approach to the game and to the, the movie itself. And having said that, that is, is actually a great example of what I would love to see them do with Blade Runner in terms of, once again, drilling down into the world of Blade Runner, not just give us this peripheral tour on the surface, but like, you know, Mass Effect 2, for instance, I mean, by the end of that game, and then Mass Effect 2 is like one of my all-time favorite games, you just, you really do get a sense of just what this this universe is about, where you belong in this this huge just, just, I can't even like describe it, but just, just being this little small little speck in this huge universe and how you play this pivotal role. And there are all these different types of people that you run into or even species of, of creatures and stuff, which once again, they were, uh, you know, taking these replicants to these off world sites, who knows what kind of creative storytelling they could do as a result of that. But yeah, I think that that was the that was the thing that that ultimately prevented me from giving it five stars, just because, the, especially considering the fact it was like a, almost a three hour long movie, there was surprisingly not a lot of stuff that really dived deep. It was much more of just that that type of interpretive film experience, I guess. And it's interesting too how a lot of these films, especially when it comes to like the Alien franchise or the Blade Runner franchise, it's like what I mentioned earlier, they take this decidedly oppressive dystopia type of approach where like the future is just really dark and grim. It's not a happy place. It's not a utopian place. And that's all well and good. And I think also too, that that's why Star Wars also did so well was that it actually went the opposite direction um, in a lot of ways. I mean, it was a lot more of a hopeful, happier. I mean, it was still dangerous, but like there was more of a a balance to the force. (laughs) But again, I'm not saying that that's necessarily better than Blade Runner, but just that's just what Blade Runner is known for. Well, I think it might've been purposeful because they left the door open for more Blade Runner type stuff to come out. Yeah. A, we have the short films and I'm sure they're not done yet with those because we have, there's a 30 year lapse in time that, something had to happen. Um, you know, working on other planets. Um, we have Wallace also who we, we need to see his rise to stardom and fame. Plus he is still alive and has his motives and his agenda. We also have the, the rebellious replicants also who still have their own agenda, um, to, to, to to play out. Well, and yeah, and, and that's another thing that we forgot to really talk about during the plot section, which was just when, Kay wakes up and there are all those replicants that are there. 
once again, there, there really wasn't, I mean, it was like they gave us this brief little, oh yeah, we exist and this is what we're doing and we're going to try and you know win our freedom and blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, well, that's that's a tidy way <laughs> to like just throw it in there. Yeah, but like, and I think that's why it goes back to the Mass Effect 2 example, which is just, I, th- I personally would love to see a Blade Runner where he meets these different people from these different walks of life. Maybe they're replicants, maybe they're human, whatever the case may be, but just perhaps have kind of more of this like motley crew of people that help, you know, out in a certain capacity, whether, you know, if you get into a fight or you're trying to, to gain some sort of sensitive information or whatever it is, like, like really dive into that, establish more relationships, provide opportunities to be able to branch off and create, like I said, like these, these, standalone other stories that, that exist within the world of Blade Runner. But that's really the only kind of big flaw or issue I have with it. And that also goes back to me suggesting that this sequel should have been there. There there should have been one movie in between this one and the 1982 one. Yeah. Uh, Because they're, they're trying to wrap everything up in time with this movie when there should have been one that explained everything before this sequel came out. Oh yeah. Yeah. Any other final thoughts, or are you all uh, done? Well, Russ, in respect for the time, I think I uh, I will again hold my tongue. All right. Well, whoa, whoa, whoa. what rating would you give it? Oh, I said four stars. Four stars. Okay. Yep. Four stars here. Four stars there. Okay. Four, four. That will conclude this particular episode of Joygasm. Be sure to check out patreon.com slash joygasm and subscribe to get the most out of the show. Also, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Twitch, and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. In addition to iTunes and Android, you can listen to our podcast on soundcloud.com slash joygasm TV. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on YouTube and Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live. And I know right now we are currently having fun with Cuphead. And that is a doozy. Indeed. Well, thanks for listening. 